Welcome back to another episode of Love and Grit. I'm Laia. I'm Justin. And I'm Rachel. And today's episode is about two women who are considered two of the most powerful voices in the city. Lauren Tilly sings and the world stops. Seriously, though, as she is the first cultural ambassador for American music on this show. We'll explain. <laughs> now, Patty Jackson's voice is woven into the fabric of Philly, having consistently been on the radio here for almost 40 years. Can we consider her a true voice of Philadelphia? We'll ask. But first, around the Philly page and Justin, what do we have today? The weather's warming up. Everybody's getting excited. What are the top places to see live music in Philadelphia? Well, I love the Kimmel. They always have so many different performances. They have a great um, restaurant, bar area. And then I also love Relish. They have plenty of great And now we're music. picking more than one? Wait, 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 hurry up. I just thought yeah. like we wouldn't notice. <laughs> one of my favorite spots that I'm looking forward to going to is Time, which is a really great jazz club over down there in Center City. I've seen some of Philly's greatest musicians. When they're off, they come and they perform there, which is really cool. But I was also going to mention Johnny Brenda's because I love a good performance venue when you can go downstairs and eat. Okay, I'm done. Everybody's doing too. I'm just just following the rules. We get to do what we want. How about that? I know, I just follow the rules. It's okay. Don't you want to eat? Don't you you like Johnny Brenda? Always want to eat. Of course, I love it. All these places. Mine is the man. It was the first place I went to a concert as a kid. The monkeys. Like, hey, hey? Yeah. Um, (laughs) I know, weird. I mean, I was a kid, kid, but yeah, yeah. we're going to be performing at the man. I mean, if you call what we do. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Roots oh. Picnic, June 4th and 5th. Live and grit. Live at the, the man. I love that view of the city. I love how open it feels. Love, love how you did great. that segue. Thank you. Uh, Let's segue into our guest. So if you don't know, Philly is one of the country's capital cities of music. It's what we do, which is why most of the time we are not easily impressed by outsiders. Enter Lauren Talese, a beautiful classically trained jazz singing sister from Cleveland who decided to move to Philly to further her vocal education, thank God. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, this is the story of how a girl moved to Philly with all her talents, allowed Philly to build on those talents by immersing herself in the music community, which enabled her to grace some of the most prestigious stages in the world. I'm talking from Lincoln Center, Shanghai, to the Kennedy Center. Look, this led to her becoming a cultural ambassador of American music, following in the footsteps of greats like Louis Armstrong, Dizzy Gillespie, Duke Ellington, not to mention she's releasing her second album, all while continuing to immerse herself in the Philly music community as she is now the vice president of the city's chapter of the Grammys. The Grammys are coming up. Tell us about the Grammys. You will see the Grammys are in a new city this year. They're in Las Vegas. We're going to make Vegas pop. This will be my first time attending the Grammys as an executive officer. So it's awesome. Lauren, our, our listeners, locals, tourists, they constantly can see you performing at the Kimmel. Most recently, we saw you in person during our James Spirit Foundation partnership. We had a special event at South and it was televised where you performed an amazing song What does it mean to be so embraced by Philadelphians, even though you're not originally from Philly? Mm -hmm. It means so much. I can remember being in Cleveland. I left Cleveland as I was turning 18 
to um, go to University of the Arts. And I remember the summer before I left, so much amazing music was coming out. The mid-90s was when things were just starting to take off in terms of like the Black Lily and all those sorts of things, maybe a little bit before. But I moved to Philly in 2000. So by the time I got here, I remember walking down Market Street. I had a job for like two days at City Blue on like 13th and Market. I was the girl and they were like, can you go get my coffee? And I was like, I'm supposed to be working in retail. What are you talking about? Wow, like, such a good Philly education though. City Blue is like, <laughs> right? Yeah, right? This little 18 year old thing. And so I remember walking down Market Street. This is when Sound the Market was still open on 11th Street. And between 12th and right before you get to City Hall on Market Street, there's all these music stores that had their speakers outside on a nice day. And I moved here in August. Mm -hmm. So I remember walking down Market Street and hearing Just Friends. It was just coming out by Music Soul Child. And I was like, who is this? I just felt like the music and the music community were so imaginative, so creative, so gritty, but also like so steeped in the tradition. And there was so much richness and love in the music. I could feel it, it was almost tangible. So I was immediately swept away. And I remember before I got here on one of my breaks, I was home in Cleveland and I was preparing to come back and I heard Bilal's Firstborn second album. Mm. Me and my all my friends in Cleveland, we were just like, Do you hear this guy? And who's the band? And it obviously was like Rob Glasper and Quest Love and Shoot, that was Robert Glasper. I forgot all about that. Yeah. All of them were playing on that record. And I remember learning those songs to a T. Fast forward to going to the Black Lily to the five spot on a Tuesday night. Oh, the five as spot. Mm -hmm. as I fell down the street. steps at the five spot. Those Remember are some those steep steps? steps. <laughs> ah, no. One day I walked in and by this time, when I got to UArts, one of the first people I met at freshman orientation was Adam Blackstone. And uh, then oh. McKee. So by the time my sophomore year came, I knew a lot of people that were working in the region and in the city. And I went to the five spot one day and standing at the door right after I heard his music was Bilal. Mm. And there was nobody, this could still hold true to this day, but there was nobody else that you could have put in front of me that I would fan out for. I mm. fanned out, I was like, hi, my name is Lauren. I'm a sophomore at UArts. And I just want to let you know that I love your music so much. And he was like, hey baby. All right. You know how he talks. Yes. Well. So I remember like it was yesterday. And that poor little thing, I had a little um, college boyfriend. He was so mad because he could see the love and admiration mm -hmm. I had. Honey, your whole voice still. changed when you told <laughs> that story. Yes. So I literally, maybe a week or a month later, Steve McKee was like, Bilal's auditioning for a background vocalist. Do you want to do it? And I was like, I want to audition, let me audition. And you know, by the grace of God, he saw something in me and, and I got to sing background for him after meeting him, after hearing his music. And I said all that to say, just to talk about how much Philly and its music community means to me, because I felt like I was in another form of university while singing background for Bilal. Every time he did shows, he would change how he approached every phrase melodically, every melisma, every way he felt the music on every single day that we performed was different. And I saw him, how hard he was working and how, how seriously he took the art and how much they played, you know, off the stage. But when it came time to perform, they gave their all, him and mm -hmm. Rob and everybody included. So I just felt so honored to be in their footsteps backstage with them and on the stage with them behind the scenes. There's just something about the level of innate 
creativity and artistry here. So I find it an honor to be embraced by this community because there's no other community like the Philly music community in the entire yeah. world. Can you talk about too, since you mentioned some names like Steve McKee, Adam Blackstone, you guys kind of grew together career wise. Talk about how those relationships extended to take you to places that you never imagined, even before you got to the other stages. So Adam was just this. There's nobody better to tell his story because he's such a storyteller. But I don't even know if he remembers this. He was the one when the instructor was gathering us all together during our freshman orientation. He was cracking jokes, saying hi, just, you know, super gregarious and open. So we became fast friends. And I learned a lot from him just my freshman year, continued songwriting, learning how to be a part of a band. And he was that person that went up to recording artists as they were transitioning from a dat or just to have that track behind them in the early 2000s to say, hey, you need a band and me and my boys could do it. Let me handle it. I got it for you. And just seeing him being able to walk in his power and do that time and time again before anybody really knew him was really amazing. I learned a lot from that and the fact that you can go and ask for what it is that you see for yourself. Hmm. He didn't need permission. He was just a very nice guy who knew what he knew. He studied, he knew the craft, and he knew what he had to offer. And he boldly went up to people and told them. And before you know it, he was leaving school to tour with Vivian Green at her height, you know, and putting her band together. He put Jaguar Wright's band together and worked alongside Amir, Questlove Thompson in doing that when she mm -hmm. was working with them closely. And so I got to see that. I got to audition for different background opportunities through Adam. And Steve was on gigs through Adam. And we all just kind of figured it out together, which was a blessing. Because you don't really know if you want to be a recording artist based on what you see in the media, especially at that time, because there was no Instagram. It was really just what you saw in the magazines and what you saw, the finished product, mm -hmm. what you saw on TV. But you didn't know that there was a show that ended at midnight and then Vivian stayed for two hours afterwards signing autographs and then she had a 5 a.m. radio call with Tom Joyner or whoever. Hmm. Like you didn't understand the actual hard work and the actual love that you have to have for something to do it and do it well. So I was so fortunate to be afforded that opportunity to be able to see it from the back and the front. And that that was really important to me and priceless. I don't know if I'd be doing what I'm doing today, but I toured a lot. I went overseas. I did half the tour. Jaguar Wright was half the tour in Amsterdam and UK. And then Bilal came on the back end and did all these venues. And it was my first time having freedom and agency overseas, but also having to be responsible and show up to my calls when nobody was saying what I had to do before the sound checks. And there was so much I learned. And I, I this is what I meant when I said in the intro, she put her work in, in the Philly music community and what that education means. You can't get any better education than singing background for Jaguar, right? I mean, I, I was green. I'm from Cleveland, Ohio. There was an arts community, but it wasn't as robust as Philly and it still isn't. Mm -hmm. Where did your voice come from? Like, how did you get started? It's so soulful. I mean, thank you. the first time I heard it when you were singing on the stage of the Met, it blew me away. My body had a reaction, you know, like the hairs on the back of my yes, neck. Yes, yes. Where did that voice come from? Thank you. My dad sings. I grew up with him singing in the house. He would have his brothers over the house in our dining room after they got off work, like Thursdays or Friday nights, they would have their little drinks and just be singing to Curtis Mayfield or The Temptations or After Seven, whatever was happening in the late 90s and the mid 90s as I was coming up. And one of my uncles would always be off pitch and my dad would be like, come on and notice this or whatever. 
And <laughs> I would be in the background listening, like I could hear the note. I don't know why they don't let me sing, but they were grown men chilling, drinking, <laughs> doing their own thing. And they wanted me to get out because this is their time as an adult. I know now I remember it like it was yesterday. One day my dad actually heard me sing the note and I was about seven or eight. And he just looked at me and was like, oh, you can sing. And then after that, he started putting me in troops and all kind of organizations. I sang with this group called the Singing Angels at about eight. And we would go to nursing homes and hospitals. Um, but like not trained, like an untrained voice. Not yet. Just by ear. That's like a superpower. I think a lot of black kids, they just got them ears. Like it's just something. I think mm -hmm. it's from church. I think it's from ancestry. ancestry. <laughs> it's just embedded. The Cleveland School of the Arts recruited from one of the community choirs I was in. And that's where I got introduced to singing in a more formal way. When I got into that school, it was from fourth grade to 12th grade. I entered in fifth grade and I just got to sing and look up to high schoolers who had training already and emulate them. So that was really helpful. Then I got a scholarship to study at the Institute of Music, which was transformative in many ways. And that's when I started thinking about it classically. UArts recruited from Cleveland School of the Arts. So it was kind of like a no-brainer. We got lucky. Avenue of the Arts. On that videotape, mm -hmm. they wrote that little, this was 99. They wrote that little VHS deck with the TV on the top and a VCR on the bottom. Oh yeah, like in the and classroom, like, roll it in. Yes, I, we were in the library and I just was like, I watched my whole world come alive. I immediately knew I was gonna come to Philadelphia. My father didn't want me to go. He was like, it's too far. So I saved up my little money from McDonald's and purchased my own Greyhound ticket and came up here on the bus. And I'm really grateful for the city because I met so many generous characters along the way that, that really helped shape me and, and my trajectory and poured into me. So since it's jazz month, it seems like yeah. at least in your life, there's been a mm -hmm. lot of advantages to going into that genre of music. Can you talk about like where jazz is taking you in places where maybe other genres may not yeah. be able to? So my voice didn't feel gritty. I didn't have this deep old woman in me that was going to come out and be loud and, and robust. And I always admired that. So I kind of was like, where do I belong? Where's my voice? And I got to Cleveland School of the Arts and my mentor gave me a compilation disc that had Chet Baker singing, Nina Simone, Astrugi Berto, Ooh, and Sarah Vaughn. Mm. And I put in Lullaby Birdland and immediately was like, this is me, this is my voice. I was 15, so I feel really fortunate now looking back to have found my voice that young. And because of that, my view and my focus was so targeted on what I wanted to do and what I wanted to study. And I sing it the way I sing it. Even if you think back to like Sarah Vaughn and Ella Fitzgerald, they actually put into their music and their technique what they were hearing around them of that time. So me, I'm growing up in the late 80s, 90s, and I'm hearing Mariah Carey, I'm hearing Tony Braxton, I'm hearing Anita Baker, all these pop and R&B artists that I love. And I'm singing their songs, but I'm also singing jazz. And that's what kind of shapes what type of jazz that I sing, I think, in a lot of ways. I also watched a whole bunch of old Hollywood movies with my mom. So that cinematic, whimsical sensibility also filters its way into my music as well. I tell people all the time, a little girl grew up in Cleveland, walked those Cleveland streets, came to Philly, walked those streets. That's what you hear in my music in addition to all my influences. And I think that's really important in terms of how we categorize jazz because it shouldn't sound like it did in the 50s all the time because we don't live in the 50s or 60s. We live in the time that we live now and that should also be incorporated in woven into our sound. But yeah, I 
feel so grateful to have had the platforms that I've had so far to perform the music that I love so much. Will you sing us out? Ooh, ah, to put you oh, on the spot. I was so scared to ask her that. You know, technically, this is like unheard of. You're not really supposed to ask people to sing, but it's certain people you really want to hear sing. And I'm so glad that Justin put himself out there. I was excited, but then I was like, ooh, I wonder if she could see how large my eyes are right now when he asked that question. So, y'all are going to be getting first singing voice more <laughs> today because I have not sung today, but it's okay. There's a somebody I'm longing to see. Philly Intel. We Philly folks understand that there are two legendary patties, LaBelle and Jackson. And while they are friends, for nearly 40 years, Patty Jackson has been the most consistent voice on the Philly radio airwaves, starting in country radio and landing in a place she would call home for the next few decades, Treasure WDASFM. Now understand this, staying in any job for this long is an achievement, but in radio, it is truly that of legends. Trust that I know. This means Patty has interviewed any and everyone you can think of and has participated in more community events than the most active community activist you could ever know. She is truly of the people for the people and you hear it every time she turns on her mic daily. This is why she is one of the few radio personalities to have her own South Philly street named after her. And that's not even scratching the surface of accolades that her life and service has presented her with. What was it like when you were first 18 and working <laughs> in country and that genre and that radio station? What was that like for you? It was exciting. And I was very eager. And I was a sponge. I wanted to learn it all. <laughs> You're also exceptional at cooking and baking. I've always been jealous of my friends who work with you because they get to try it. I just have to see it. I've heard about all this food. I see it during the holidays. Alicia Vitarelli's trying to get a piece of this. I mean, it's like, how did cooking play into everything you I do? I get it from my mom. She would get home later and she was, you know, old fashioned. She wanted my father's dinner on the table. I would be the sous chef and prepare everything. So she would jump off septa, wash her hands and finish. Then I just took over and became the chef. She was very, I may have to work late, but your father has to have his dinner on time. Oh, wow. I love that. This feels like you should have a cookbook, but that also right. tells <laughs> these types of stories that are associated with your family and, and all of the celebrities you've cooked for. Would you Rachel's available to be your agent. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Family plays such a big part of my life. I'm also a mom. I am an auntie. Helping to raise my six-year-old niece who lives with me. That's kind of interesting that both our favorite patties are known for their cooking skills. Have they ever joined forces? And I want to. We've been so busy. You know, the world has opened up and Patty is on the road a lot, but it's something that I want to do. I have taken dishes over her home. So what you bring, Patty? 
Banana pudding. Ooh. Yep. Banana Ooh. pudding. With the Nella wafers on the top. No. Mm-hmm. Chessman cookies. The, with the Chessman cookies she on top. She uses the Chessman oh, cookies. Yeah. I'm telling you, I stalk, I, I stalk like, wait a minute, when are we going to get the recipe? <laughs> yeah. As the world opens up, Patty, what mm-hmm. are you thinking? You know, you're raising a six-year-old and a 20-year-old. You're still doing radio, all this social media. What do you think? What are you thinking going forward? Everything is opening and I am preparing for the Dell now with like outfits and things that I have to do and just how busy my schedule is going to be and just saying, Patty, you got to be ready for all of these events. Because you got to be on stage. It's that whole embrace it. It's oh. only and everyone time. wants to take a photo with you. And- I was just going to say, Patty, how long did it take you to get to this point where you knew that's because I'm, I'm now I'm learning. It took me a while because it was like, Patty, learn how to embrace what you do. Mm-hmm. Walk on that stage like you're one of the stars. You're the host. You should look good. Now I'm into the wigs. So I kind of like channel my Dolly Parton and Cher. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love and it. I love it. A new person with each different wig that we put on. And I had to learn. Embrace this, Patty. Mm. Step into that role. You are the host. You be gracious, nice. That was humble. You are the voice of the city. (laughs) (laughs) So many people love so many different things about you. And you said it. consistency is hard to find. And you've been so consistent for so long and really like a pillar in Philadelphia, you know, a role model. That's the key. Consistency and be a nice person. I've had people be jerky to me, especially in the beginning. You got to be a good person. You cannot wake up and think I'm the queen of the world and I'm just going to piss on everybody else or not Mm. be nice. Be kind. Kindness. It can be so lacking nowadays, but you never know what somebody is going through. And somebody was encouraging to me as a youngster in the game. So I always reach out to those who are younger than me and to help them and advise them and to just be there. That's one of the positives about the business is mentorship. Mm -hmm. I don't see that in the corporate world like I knew it in broadcasting. Black radio demands that you like be a part of this community. And it's like, what what are you going to do with that? Right, Patty? What you going to do with that? What is your responsibility? How will you use your voice? And it's important. You cannot walk around thinking they're going to take my job because guess what? What God has for you, God has for you. Yes. You excel in what you do and never be afraid of reaching out and helping those who are younger. I started the podcast, Patty and the Millennials, because I'm a baby boomer. And they always say Mm. the boomers and millennials don't get along. Mm. So I wanted to bridge the gap. And then I brought in Gen X because they're forgotten. We are. Hello. I said this the other day. We're here. We can't forget the people who bridge it, the Gen X. Hey. Oh, thank you, Patty. I love what I do. And I just thank God every day. I'm a stroke survivor. Seven years ago, I had a stroke. Mm -hmm. I lost my vision. I was in a wheelchair. I was a mess. And I said, God, if you get me out of this wheelchair, I will spend the rest of my life telling people the importance of taking care of themselves. We women put on that cape. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And I've got the kids and I got this. And when you have to take care of your parents, there comes a point in your life when you might have to be that person. That is hard. It's hard. And a lot of people are very selfish about that. You ever notice in families, 
There's the one mm-hmm. who does the work. Everyone oh, else always. It can be five kids, but yeah, it's only one that's doing right. the work. Mm-hmm. Caretaking is hard. But mm-hmm. you know what? You must always take care of yourself. And it's okay to take the cape off and say, I can't do this or I need help. As a stroke survivor, I knew where my life was. It was the perfect storm. And you I, know, I forgot about that. But now yeah. I remember being very upset for you. I mean, but I think there were a lot of prayers for you, too. Yeah, there were. There you were. had a long health journey. It was seven years ago. Wow. And God left me with a limp to make sure that I never forget what I've come through. But you I look better than it. ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I've started drinking water and taking care of myself. Yes. I look like I'm drinking the fountain of youth that I just really turned my life around and just learning how to take care of myself. Don't sweat the small stuff. This was another life lesson. People come and go in your life and friendships change and people change, but you must remain consistent and say, God, I'm riding with you. You know why you removed this person from my life. You know why. And trusting God in the path that he has for you. Don't be controlling, just go with the flow. And he has blessed me immensely. Okay. I feel like it's gonna be an amazing summer. We gonna be in the streets. We're yeah, we'll see, see you. Stage. <laughs> April's a big month for jazz everywhere, but especially here in Philadelphia. Oh, Absolutely. yeah. It has a fancy name, right? Uh, yes, uh, Jazz Appreciation Month. <laughs> I love it. And there's so many places to see jazz in Philadelphia. Oh, yeah. Visit and philly.com it- for all the details. Oh, yeah, y'all. They got all the good spots to go see some really great jazz musicians. So please. And follow us Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. We'll tell you good stuff to do. We know it. Yeah. Bye. Bye.